So 2 Chronicles chapter 10 and verse 1. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. And as soon as Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, for he was in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon, then Jeroboam returned from Egypt, and they sent and called him. And Jeroboam and all Israel came and said to Rehoboam, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. He said to them, Come to me again in three days. So the people went away. So let's uh, break this down. The first few verses of chapter 10 here. Rehoboam, we know he is the... Uh, son of Solomon. He is the only child that we know by name. Now keep in mind that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines, and yet Rehoboam is the only one that we know by name. Because of the precedence that was set by David, uh, having his successor be his son, that is Solomon, Uh, Of course, it was for them logical that Solomon would have his son assume the throne of Israel. And so it was. Rehoboam assumed the throne of Israel. But this succession was more than just a logical conclusion to what the precedents that had been set by King David. It was much more than that. It was much more than human tradition or the will of man alone. Because remember that God had promised that David nor Solomon would lack a man to rule Israel. But this promise came with, of course, we know, conditions, right? There were conditions to that. Now let's turn to the previous, uh, let's see here, about a page back to uh, chapter 7 is what we're going to look at. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 17. And as for you, and this is the Lord speaking to Solomon, and as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, doing according to all that I have commanded you, and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your your royal throne, as I covenanted with David your father, saying, You shall not lack a man to rule in Israel. But if you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments that I have set before you and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from my land that I have given you and this house that I have consecrated for my name. I will cast out of my sight and I will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. So it was conditional. You will not lack a man to sit on the throne At the same time, hey, listen, you need to obey the word. You need to walk according to the manner in which your father David did. Now, David, we know, did not walk perfectly. But he was a man who uh, had a heart that was after God's heart. uh, Always ready to confess and repent. Understanding that his primary goal was to glorify the Lord. 
We also asked the question, who is Jeroboam? And we need a reminder about that. We have to back up a bit to get a good sense of who Jeroboam is and why he came into the picture. So let's turn back to 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. First Kings chapter 11, and then we're going to go to verse 9. Now, this picks up right after we read um, previously how it is that even though the Lord had warned Solomon, had warned Israel not to have multiple wives, and yet he did. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines, as it says in verse 3, uh, in fact, in verse 4, it says, When Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. In fact, he built high places to, for all of his wives to worship um, their false gods. Their, their, they practiced idolatry. And then in verse 9, it says, And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. And had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you, and I will give it to your, and you can underline, servant. Yet for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Note that. Verse 13, however, I will not tear away all the kingdom. Note that. But I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. And the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon. Hadad the Edomite. He was of the royal house in Edom. Here's another adversary in verse 23. God also raised up as an adversary to him Rezin, the son of Eliada, who had fled from his master Hadadezer, king of Zobah. And then verse 26. Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephraimite of Zereda, a servant of Solomon whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow, also lifted up his hand against the king. And this was the reason why he lifted up his hand against the king. Solomon built the Milo and closed up the breach of the city of David, his father. The man, Jeroboam, was very able. And when Solomon saw that the young man was industrious, he gave him charge over all the forced labor of the house of Joseph. And at that time, when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem, the prophet Asia, the Shilonite, found him on the road. Now, Asia had dressed himself in a new garment, and the two of them were alone in the open country. Then Asia laid hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I am about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon and will give you ten tribes. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city that I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. 
because they have forsaken me and worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the king of Moab, and Milcom, the god of the Ammonites. And they have not walked in my ways, doing what is right in my sight and keeping my statutes, my rules, as David, his father, did. So the reason for having the kingdom torn from him is listed. It's stated by the Lord. Verse 34, Nevertheless, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of David, my servant, whom I chose, who kept my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand, and I will give it to you, ten tribes. Yet to a son I will give one tribe, that David, my servant, may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city where I have chosen to put my name. And I will take you, and you shall reign over all that your soul desires, and you shall be king over Israel. And if you will listen to all that I command you, and will walk in my ways, and do what is right in my eyes by keeping my statutes and my commandments, as David my servant did, I will be with you and will build you a sure house, as I built for David, and I will give, you, give Israel to you. And I will afflict the offspring of David because of this, but not forever. Solomon sought, therefore, to kill Jeroboam. But Jeroboam arose and fled into Egypt to Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. So there's a reminder. We've gone through 1 Kings. We've gone through that chapter. But as we read through, these are the reasons why now Israel is facing these problems. Why it is that Rehoboam is now about to have the kingdom torn from his hand. And it's interesting, as we go back to chapter 10, how it was that this man was one of them, one of the, the people that gathered together, having come up from Egypt. And now he is part of the group of men who are addressing or confronting Rehoboam. Jeroboam, we know from what he was told, had an interest in Israel. Remembering what Asia the Shilonite had told him regarding the kingdom. Of course, Jeroboam had an interest in seeing how everything was going to play out. And so all Israel gathered and asked Rehoboam, basically the bottom line is this, please have mercy on us. Please lighten the hard service that we knew under the reign of your father Solomon. I couldn't help but think about what the Queen of Sheba had recently just told Solomon, or previously told Solomon, that is. In Second Chronicles chapter 9, verse 7, it says, Happy are your wives, happy are these your servants who continually stand before you and heard your wisdom. But what the Queen did not know is the difficulty, the difficult nature of serving under King Solomon was and how they experienced, the people experienced that under the reign of King Solomon. You see, the greatness of the kingdom came with a price that was borne by the people. High taxes, forced labor, and a constant application of discipline. Solomon was the wisest man who walked on the face of the earth outside of Jesus Christ. But he was a difficult man 
to serve under. At the same time, God warned Israel. Previously, God had warned Israel. They wanted a king just like all the other nations. And he told them that this would indeed happen. And it did happen. But they wanted one anyway. And if you're taking notes, that's according to 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 10 through 22. We see how it was that the Lord had warned Israel what a king would require of the people. So all of this sets the stage for this very moment that we're going into, that we're learning about, the location Shechem. Shechem was a gathering place in the northern part of the kingdom, uh, but Jerusalem was the capital. It was a, the central location for the worship of God and the gathering of God's people. So my question is, if the king was now located in Jerusalem, why is it that they had to go to Why did he go to Shechem? Why didn't the people not come to Jerusalem? Uh, This is perhaps, and this is what what is um, uh, thought about by the uh, commentators, is that perhaps this is an indication of the weakness of Rehoboam. And the beginning of what God had told Jeroboam would happen to the kingdom. Uh, After all, Shechem was, again, the central location where the ten northern tribes would gather. The ten tribes that would split or be torn or taken away from um, Rehoboam. Or, because we don't know, it may have been initially by Rehoboam an attempt to listen to the people and get some feedback to consider. He was going because the people were gathering to make him king. And so he was going to them. But either way, it was requested of Rehoboam that he would lighten the hard service and the taxes that they had known under Solomon. But remember that this request came from a people that were heavy into idolatry. They hadn't confessed. They had not repented. They hadn't turned from their idolatry. They were apostates, you could say, as we learned of this fact back in 1 Kings chapter 11. This, by the way, came under the leadership of King Solomon. He allowed this to flourish in the kingdom. This demonstrated, although he was a wise man, he lacked in leadership. Even though the kingdom was great and his wisdom was without comparison, we need to also consider the fact that they were given over to idolatry and they were in every sense of the world apostates. They had turned away from the Lord as the king's heart was turned away from the Lord. So these people nonetheless requested a lightening of heart service And easing up of taxes. And Solomon told him, fine, I'll consider your request. Come back in three days and I'll give you my response. So the people went away. Verse 6. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon his father while he was yet alive, saying, how do you advise me to answer this people? And they said to him, if you will be good to this people and please them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. But he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. And he said to them, 
What do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, Lighten the yoke that your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him said to him, Thus shall you speak to the people who said to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus shall you say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. The council of the elders versus the council of young men, or Rehoboam's peers, is what we see here. The group of elders was composed of old men. Old men who had stood before Solomon, his father, while he was yet alive. So we know that if they were the ones who counseled King Solomon, then they were, they were of age. The group of Solomon's peers were composed of young men who had grown up with him and stood before him, as we read. But let's first consider the old men. The old men, well, they had experienced the leadership of Rehoboam's father, Solomon. These were men who had seen Solomon lead the people. They knew the people. And why it was that they were asking for a lightening of their burdens. And we know that these men, these old men, gave Rehoboam sound advice. You see, it was wise for Rehoboam to demonstrate kindness and understanding of the people, considering what was necessary and what was not necessary. Um, There's a time to come in and clean house, but oftentimes it is wise. When a person is promoted to a place of leadership, to, first of all, understand the people. The lay of the land, understanding who's who, how we do things, and starting to gather information that would equip the person to make sound decisions. Well, this is what the old men were counseling Rehoboam to do. Be kind, be merciful, uh, uh, apply that kindness Lighten their burden. Ease their yoke. Be understanding of the people. Consider what's necessary and what is not necessary. You know, in that council, they were, they were telling them, hey, listen, exercise good discernment. The hearts of the people were being offered up by the people. They, they came to the king and they were laying their hearts out. They were saying, hey man, it was, it was difficult under your dad. We made it through, but it's difficult. It was difficult and so therefore we're asking for some reprieve. Like, just lighten up a little bit. The old man discerned all of this, and suggested that if Rehoboam did lighten their burden, then these people would be grateful, and they would serve him forever. 
There was another old man who exercised kindness and love toward a fellow worker and a brother in Christ. And I want to use him as an example in Philemon, which there's only one chapter to Philemon. Philemon, verses 8 through 16. This is the Apostle Paul. Remember that, the, that, that Paul was an apostle. And so, you know, he's writing to Philemon. And he's, he's making a plea for Onesimus, who was the servant who had run away that belonged to Philemon. And so, uh, in verse 8, it says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man... And now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. For only he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be, compulsion, not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord." So the Apostle Paul referred to him as an old man. He could, demand, he could have demanded uh, of Philemon to keep Onesimus for the sake of the furtherance of the gospel and to tend to him as he was in prison. And yet he didn't. He appealed to him. He did this in love. He knew that Onesimus, who had come to surrender his life to the Lord and knew uh, the forgiveness of his sins and was a brother in Christ was much more than a servant now. He was a brother in Christ. But he was, he had sent a letter to Philemon and sending Onesimus back. He listen, whatever he owes to you, I, I will pay. And he was asking him to receive him, knowing that he would serve him forever. You see, this is the very heart of the old men, of the elders, who are telling Rehoboam, listen, these people, they, they, loved, they loved David. They did love Solomon, served him, but Solomon was, was difficult. And so they're asking for kindness. And if you show them that kindness, then they're going to serve you forever. But he abandoned the counsel that the old, man, old men gave him and took counsel with the young men. It's as if Rehoboam heard the old man out of necessity. That was it. But had actually made up his mind that he was not going to listen to them even before they even but before they gave their counsel. Um, you know, we, we watched the movie The Man in the Iron Mask and, and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. I don't know if you guys have seen that movie. Uh, it's an older movie, 1998. But in there was a line that he said, and he was the one. There was so there was twins, and uh, one was behind the iron mask and put away. He was a threat to the to the, the throne, and so 
the one king was a fool. And he did not take good counsel. But he said one thing. He stopped and looked back at the commander of, of um, the king's guard. And he told him, I am a young king. But I am king. And he said it with arrogance. Basically, just do as I say. And he refused to take any good counsel. Well, this is Rehoboam. He refused to take any good counsel. And instead, he immediately abandoned the counsel that the old men had given him. And then took counsel with the young men. Gave the appearance of being respectful toward the old men. But in actuality, he shunned everything that they had to say. Perhaps he thought they were irrelevant. They were part of the old guard. Something of the past that wasn't worth even considering. You know, what was common in that day is common today. It's no different today. The person who asks for counsel but is actually asking for justification to do what they want to do is actually looking for confirmation to do what they want to do from someone who simply agrees with them. It's it's shopping for advice. Perhaps you've done that. Perhaps you've known of someone that has done that. You know, just shopped for advice. You know, going from person to person to person to person, finally hearing what they want to hear, and then, then being confirmed, oh, I'm justified now to do what I want to do, what I wanted to do the whole time. They're not interested in what is right or what is true. Their whole interest is in asking until they find someone who will simply agree with them and tell them what they want to hear. Often they will talk about the people who did give them sound advice as if they were trying to stop them from doing God's will. They actually treat them or talk about them as if they're the enemy. Oh, they just wanted to to stop me from doing what really God wanted me to do. And they'll speak, they'll, they'll talk in this way. This is exactly what Rehoboam was doing. As you look at the two sides, you look at the old men and the council that that he had received from them, and then you look at the counsel that he received from the young men. So let's consider the young men. These were identified as Rehoboam's peers, men who had grown up with him. And it is likely, as the commentators had written, that these were likely uh, half-brothers. Brothers, same dad, but different mothers. You know that, again, Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And so it is thought that perhaps these were men who had grown up with him, around him. Men who saw the reign of Solomon, but from afar. Not like the old men who were within the kingdom, seeing Solomon make decisions. The advice the young men gave was for Rehoboam to... Basically, hey, listen, you need to, this request for them, for, for you to, to be merciful toward them is nonsense. Listen, lay down the law, establish your reign, be tough, 
demand everyone's allegiance because you are the king. And you need to establish it. You're the new king, and so you need to show them who's boss. Remind them who is on the throne now. Tell them, hey, if you thought my dad was tough, you haven't seen anything yet. They advised Rehoboam to strike fear in the heart of the people. And through that, make an attempt to control them. Perhaps even thinking that his kingdom would be better, greater than his father's kingdom. So they advised Rehoboam to tell them that his weakness was stronger than his father's might and power at its height. He advised Rehoboam to threaten heavier taxes, stricter laws. So the question is, with this advice, what's Rehoboam going to do? Whose advice is he going to take? Verse 12, So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king said, Come to me again the third day. And the king answered them harshly, and forsaking the counsel of the old men, King Rehoboam spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to it. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of affairs brought about by God that the Lord might fulfill his word, which he spoke by Isaiah the Shilonite to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. So, Obviously, as we see, he made his decision. Rehoboam decided to follow his peers' advice over the old men's advice. Sounding, at this point, like an immature dictator. Giving the people a a rant filled with promises of misery for all. It's like, oh joy, King Rehoboam's on the throne. And we thought it was bad with his father. Well, we have another thing coming You see, a fool will dismiss sound counsel. A fool cannot discern what is wisdom and what is foolishness. And in the end, will follow his own stupidity. And it will be evident to all. But all will pay for it. The consequences of the leader trickles down and it affects everyone. Proverbs 23.9 says, Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the good sense of your words. You want to discern when you have a fool before you? Just go no further than God's word. Are they willing to receive? Because this is what God's word says. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the good sense of your words. Proverbs 1.7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Ecclesiastes 8, 5, Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. Timing, what is right, you will know the path to take. As you walk with knowledge and understanding of God's word, You know the path to take. It's not always the easiest. In fact, it's often the hardest to take. And yet it's the right path. 
It's a path that you will have no regrets walking down. You will know that you can walk uprightly down that path. Knowing that you are walking in the truth of God's word. Not looking to the left, not looking to the right. Looking before you. Knowing that you're walking or living in a way or practicing these actions and the, the responses and all that you do in life in a manner that brings glory to God. For Rehoboam, he knew neither the proper time nor the just way. His heart was a fool's heart. But again, we ought to consider the fact that this was in fulfillment of what God had foretold through Aijah the Shalonite. What we're seeing here is a result of what had been taking place for years. This didn't just happen overnight. Again, remember, we read in 1 Kings what was happening under the reign of King Solomon. If the king's heart had been turned away from the Lord... Certainly the hearts of the people were also turned away from the Lord. They were doing the same thing. Rehoboam was only an example of the idolatry and the apostasy that had taken place under the king, under the reign of King Solomon. And this decision that Rehoboam made would usher in not only the tearing of the kingdom of Israel, but also judgment after judgment after judgment after judgment and the destruction of a nation, the very people of God. You see, again, I remind you of what the Lord had told King David. If you walk in my ways, oh, I, I promise you, you will not lack a man to sit on the throne. Everything will remain intact. But if you don't, oh, I will not only tear you out of this place, but the the place itself will be destroyed. It will be a byword. In other words, people will look towards Israel, shake their heads, and say, oh, it is because they have forsaken their God that they are now experiencing the discipline of their God. They will shake their heads. It would be an example of what, what not to do. And God warned them. You know, God warns us in so many ways of so many things. And then when, we're, when we realize the consequences of disobeying the Lord, we ought to remember. See, it's at that point. See, even for Rehoboam, even for, for the times that we're going to see God judge the people, That is the moment when we should realize that we have sinned against the Lord, confess that, turn from our sin, and cry out to God. And just ask Him for for mercy and grace. We will see 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, worked out time and time again in the people of Israel. But know that it's the same God that we see here, 
that is today. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He promised the people of Israel, his people, that he would do that. Just cry out. Confess, repent. I will forgive you. I will restore you. In fact, I will restore what the locusts have eaten. I will bring you back. And he did that time and time again. But that's what would happen. As Rehoboam made this decision to neglect or reject the counsel of the old men and take the counsel of his peers, this was the very thing that everything was leading up to in the tearing of the nation of Israel. Verse 16 When all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, What portion have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Each of you to your tents, O Israel. Look now to your own house, David. So all Israel went to their tents, but Rehoboam reigned over the people of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah. Then King Rehoboam sent Hadoram, who was taskmaster over the forced labor, and the people of Israel stoned him to death with stones. And King Rehoboam quickly mounted his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. The response of the people? Well, we see it clearly here. It was the rejection of Rehoboam and the rejection of of King David's dynasty, the descendants of King David. They said, hey, David, in other words, King Rehoboam, do your own thing. We, we have rejected you. You stand rejected. And yet King Rehoboam treated it lightly. They were very clearly turning away from following Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, the son of David. And even though Rehoboam treated it lightly, responded in a way that kind of dismissed what they had told him. He reigned, but he reigned even at that point over a divided kingdom. Interesting. He thought, yeah, I'm, I'm king. I told them what I had to say to them. I stand as king. I reign right here in Shechem. Physically, he may have been there. But in reality, the kingdom had already been torn away from him. He only reigned over Judah. That which God said, this will remain in his hands. That's, that's it. The northern kingdom had already, already rejected him. It was, it was done. And until he realized that he was in danger, when he sent Hadoram, who was already hated by the people, a man who was over their forced labor and the collector of revenue, he was a man who came to collect all the taxes. An IRS agent. They have 87,000 of them. No, I don't know if they have 87,000. Maybe 90, I don't know. Nonetheless, he was a man who was sent by King Rehoboam. What'd they do? Well, they stoned him to death. 
given a clear indication to the king, we have rejected you. You have no part with us and we have no part with you. It was at that point that he mounted his chariot and he took off with his tail between his legs. And he went back to Jerusalem. And even this, it was only because of God's love for David and God's promise to David that Rehoboam was left reigning over the southern kingdom, which involved only two tribes. Otherwise, he would have none, and he would have been dead also. But he was spared. It is a sobering chapter, but at the same time, one that is filled with things that we need to consider. Because everyone gets counsel. As I said at the very beginning, we receive counsel involuntarily or by request. We, we, we request it, we look for it uh, in a voluntary manner. And it does matter how we navigate through the abundance of information and the counsel that we receive. What do we do with it? How do we discern between that which is good counsel and that which is bad counsel? You know, we have decisions to make each and every day. Sometimes situation, situations that confront us. We need to know God's word. We need to know how to discern between that which is bad counsel and that which is good counsel. Bad information and good information. Romans 12.2, again, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And I'll leave you with this. The Apostle Paul had written to Timothy. And he wrote this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can go to your word You know that as we grow in our knowledge of your word, that we may know the answer uh, to everything that has to do with the life and godliness. Lord, the, the, the practical elements of life, Lord, the everyday living, Lord, we can go to your word and know how to handle those things. As we read in Romans 12 too, Lord, as we were being transformed by the renewal of our minds, that, we, that this, this process of sanctification, the renewal of our minds, Lord, is, is happening uh, through the reading of your word, through the study of your word, and through the application of your word. That we may sharpen our discernment as we practice that discernment on a regular basis. Lord, I thank you that you have provided everything necessary. There's nothing that you've held your hand back from us, from possessing, Lord, that we need. Lord, to bless you and demonstrate to you that above all, we desire to be a delight to you as we delight in you. 
And so, Father, help us to make wise decisions. Help us to discern between good and evil. In such a a dark and perverse world, Lord, we, we need that more today than ever before. I pray also that you would fill us with your spirit and give us boldness and confidence as we walk in the light. Help us, Lord, to look to you and not veer off, Lord, and to not be fooled by the enticements of the world. Lord, may we above all desire to bless and honor and bring you glory. In Jesus' name we pray.